Bigfoot. Is it real or is it a hoax? For ages, he has hidden in the forest, eluded hunters, baffled scientists, and remain a mystery. My entire life I've seen shadow people. For powerful and effective constipation relief. devil are you all? Right, well thank you for bearing with us last week uh, we was, uh, well, you was overcome with sickness Yes. Uh, thank you for everybody that got in touch uh, and asked how the wife was getting on and that, and uh, yeah she's back to full health, fingers crossed so it's all going good. Yeah. Uh, so today we have a sort of special in, in, crypt, in cryptozoology this is like a special because it's, it's based on UK cryptids isn't it? Yeah. Which is you know break from the norm because we do cover a lot of USA uh, in the US uh, cryptids and that kind of so stuff. We so we thought maybe it's about time that the UK got mentioned. Yeah, so we had a person uh, who actually has got a book out called uh, Beast The Beast of, of, U- Beast of Britain. Britain. Yeah. So that's Andy McGrath. And uh, so we'll play you the interview with him shortly. I just wanted to say, obviously the new shop's up for those who you know, want something for Christmas. They're doing quite a good deal on there at the moment. Free shipping if you spend so much. So if you want to check that out, obviously, obviously that all helps us. Yeah. Um, keep the show going, get new shit and all that. And then if you are a member or if you've been on Facebook, you might have noticed there's a podcast called Podcast We Listen To. Some of you might actually listen to it. It is a podcast as well, as well as a Facebook group. But if you get chance and if you do as, you know, if you want to, if you could do us the favour of mention us mentioning don't break the oath on that site on that site on yeah. the facebook page uh podcast we listen to much if, appreciate if we get enough mentions then eventually he might let us on you know actually because he interviews podcasters weekly i think it's every wednesday mm. so eventually we might be able to get on there which would be uh, amazing know, yeah, yeah great yeah. it'd be a good yeah. laugh that so yeah. if you you know if you i know you you all uh <clears throat> Do us enough favours and that, so you know that's just one favour for us. Uh, but it's also leave us your reviews as well, which helps. Yeah, that massively you know, helps us. Massively jump up, helps jumps up the charts. Yeah. So and tell a friend, you know, like I, I, I know I say it all the time, but if you just tell one person, our, our uh, figures will double. So yeah, spread uh, the word. Yeah, and the more the more our figures rise, the the better quality shows you'll get, and the more shows you'll get. Yeah. And that being said, there is some we are going to do some new stuff on Patreon, but we'll leave that for Patreon. Uh, once it's up, we'll tell you more about it. Right, so without further ado, let's get on with the show. So today we give you... Andrew McGrath. I became interested in in British cryptozoology, or cryptozoology in, in general, um, probably when I was a young teenager, you know, watching things like, um, or even younger than that, watching things like the In Search Of program, or Arthur C. Clarke's Mysterious uh, Universe, or Mysterious World, and the different uh, episodes on the Yoga Pogo and Loch Ness Monster and Patty, the Bigfoot, uh, uh, Bob Gimlin, and um, the Pemerson uh, footage uh, from the 70s. I thought, well, that's really interesting. I'm, I'm kind of in, into this. And I kept tabs on things that were coming up over the years, but I was never, you know, I went to university, I, I got a job, I worked. A band for years and years. I, I just did my stuff and kept it as a private research. Um, and in 1999, I was staying in, in West Wales in the in Preseli Mountains, near the Preseli Mountains, and uh, with a, an ex-partner. 
and her parents had friends over for the Christmas from London. It's really rural. Like the, I think their closest neighbours are about two miles away or something. And um, anyway, one of the ladies there, she was a heavy smoker. She'd gone out at five in the morning to have a cigarette on the patio. And uh, she lit up a cigarette and she saw a panther, you know, 10, 15 feet away from her, just staring at her. A large, sort of Labrador-sized panther. And she was just, you know, she was some exec from London. She was shocked. Mm, <laughs> and it just looked at her 10, 15 seconds and, and walked away. And she... She was uh, terrified. You know, she came in. She told us all about it. Once we got up um, that morning, I went immediately off looking for it, you know, in the hills. And uh, it was really snowy at that time, I think. And, um, yeah, so went looking for it everywhere. Didn't find anything. And then her sister told us that she'd had an experience maybe a few weeks before where she was riding over the, the mountain. It's not really a mountain, Priscilla, but it's it's quite steep. From a nearby farm, and she'd seen a panther chasing sheep around in the yard. I started looking into it and found out about the, you know, the 1976 uh, Dangerous Wild Animals Act um, that restricted, you know, how you could keep these animals and how you had to license them and register yeah, them. Yeah. And, and, you know, I even heard of people who'd let them go over the years. And uh, reading into it, really, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of scope for an animal like a puma or... Um, uh, you know, a panther, leopard, or jaguar, or whatever, surviving in our country. There's loads of livestock in Wales, for example. There's 10 million sheep. I mean, there's just livestock wild, as well as uh, you know, millions of deer and, and who knows what out there to, to eat. They're nocturnal. You know, rabbit, we don't really rabbit, have badges, mink, even, you know, anything yeah. Yeah. that they can sort of get their hands on. I would imagine they'd be big on maybe small seeker deer and, and yeah, lamb, deer, sheep, yeah, okay. Yeah. Things like that, um, and there's you know there are hundreds of sightings. There's been hundreds upon hundreds of sightings. And in fact, I posted a blog about one recently, just a, a last week in, um, uh, sorry, this week just passed in Ruspa, um, in West Sussex. And a lady there, a, a horse breeder, she'd gone and to get some hay from a supplier, and they, they just pull in and they pick it up and you know take it away with them. And she pulled in. She was a bit later than usual. It was dark. She got out of the car. She put the hay in. And she, she came back towards the car. And she saw this, she said, a panther about uh, up to her waist. She was about five, eight, or nine. Um, four foot long, three foot tail, round ears, big, stocky, muscled thing. She saw it for several minutes, clear enough to see that it licked its nose. She could even see that it was male. They had a male anatomy. And it watched them sort of saunter towards them for, you know, slowly, uh, a few minutes, and then wandered off into the bush. It was gone. Mm-hmm. And she'd never heard of this phenomenon. She was shocked. And as a, as a horse breeder, you know, she had a good example in the head uh, of what animal sizes should be, you know. Yeah. She's got something already she can compare this size to. So there's things like that all over the place. And I got into uh, the Loch Ness Monster a bit more and, and other lake monsters and sea monsters around the UK. And finally, um, recently, only in the last few years, really, I got into the British Bigfoot thing and was shocked, shocked as anybody else to find that there's hundreds and hundreds of sightings here. Mm. Yeah. I found that, that was, that did shock me when I asked the, uh, uh, Deborah about that, you know, I asked her, I was expecting her to say, you know, we've had five or six 
reports, that kind of thing. Oh. When she said we've we're up to like 400 reports of Bigfoot in the yeah. UK, <laughs> that, that, yeah. uh, that did uh, take some, uh, you know, it took, it took a minute to sink in, really. Um, mm. But, um, mm. you know, where do you go from that? Look? So, again, it's these, these cryptids, isn't it? I mean, it's all different, you know, I mean, what we've got here, we've got Bigfoot. Dogman. We should ask about your, you know, you know your latest book. Oh, the book, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, is your book um, uh, about the, is it about people's experiences, uh, you know, what they've it, seen and what they've experienced? Primarily. So it, there's, um, <clears throat> I, I wrote the book because I was really frustrated that there wasn't anything specialising in, in all of the, different sightings that we have here. And in the book, I'm, I'm mainly concentrated on creatures I thought were natural creatures, not paranormal things. Um, so you have things like uh, lake and sea monsters, um, uh, Bigfoot, Dogman, a few black shook reports, um, mm. flying cryptids, things like pterosaurs, the Owlman, uh, the Bat Beast, um, and also big cats as well. And... You know, it was really amazing to me. It's mainly about sightings, about things people have seen, but there's a lot of theory thrown in there. So I investigated a lot of theories, and I've got some of my own, and I've kind of written it quite openly to say, you know, this is about this is about what I think. It's not plucked out of my head. It's research, but as all cryptozoology is, it's it is really a matter of opinion. And I've tried to be as objective as I can, but really. We all have to be honest. We're, you know, whether we're, you know, Einstein or some layman on the street, you're all subjective to what you really philosophically believe. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. And that's going to have an influence yeah. on what you're you're interpreting to a point. And even with the witnesses, I think this is a problem. You know, like anecdotal testimony is amazing if you take into consideration the you know, the um the mental library comparative library that the person has to compare what they're seeing this thing to so a lot of british bigfoot reports are actually listed as giant upright gorilla or giant chimpanzee mm. because it's not a common phenomenon here so whoever you know this random witness not expecting to see a seven foot tall monkey man <laughs> in the, yeah, of, yeah. the forest you know has slowly plucked out of the head but what is this oh it was a giant chimpanzee chasing a deer um, and that's what they have. And I think under stressful situations, you know, you've got to give people a bit of leeway for, you know, a bit of a slip in, in their description. And by that, I mean, like the classic Loch Ness monster, you know, um, horse head, camel head, dog head, seal head. Is, is it all these different heads or are these just a sort of a very similar comparative animal head? They can base it upon somehow. Yeah, so it was kind of like that. At least you can. You know, you can ascertain that it had some sort of head. You know what I mean? Some kind of form. Rather, rather than yeah, it, you know, people rather see this, different. Rather than it being a tentacle that was coming out of the, 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 yeah. the water. Or, <clears throat> I mean, that's how. I mean, that's how police, uh, you know, witness statements go. They all just take um, the, the the meat of the witness statement. So you might get six people who saw a, a, a man running out of a bank. Um, you know. Yeah. Uh, after a bank robbery, and every witness might say one might say he had a red shirt, or one might say he had a blue shirt, or one might say he had a green shirt. But they, they all say there was a man running out of the bank with a bag of money, yeah. uh, and that's that's what the police go on. Then you mm. know what I mean? Not they don't bother about the colour shirt, but as long as you know, the bulk of the exactly. witnesses saying the same thing, 
Because the similarity between you know, dark green, dark blue, dark brown, That's black, it, and the brain fills a lot of the detail in afterwards. Yeah, it, exactly. exactly. And I think this is the thing, you know, um, I, I talked about that a little bit, but I think about it a lot. Okay, scientifically speaking, a lot of cryptozoological evidence isn't repeatable. Well, of course, you know, these are animals we've struggled to find for a great length of time. Was looking at some cases like Loch Ness. It's not likely to be repeatable, most of it. But then when we talk about the bank robber and the six separate witnesses that can convict that man based upon that evidence, it is at least acceptable as proof in a court of law. And we're not trying to try this in the court of law. But if I always thought if we were to try in a court of law and bring something like Loch Ness with its, you know, supposed 11,000 witnesses, the remarkable consistency between so many of the descriptions would convict the Loch Ness monster being itself. Absolutely, yeah. At least in a court of law, you could say, yeah, okay, so we can, you know, in the eyes of the law, say, these people all saw this thing, regardless of what it is. And, um, you know, that's what's frustrating about it. People say you've got no proof, but uh, the proof, the, the, the burden of proof is on them, I think, really. To prove that it's it's these witnesses are are fallible or lying, and they're so varied that they couldn't possibly be. Mm. Yeah, especially when you know when you're talking about you know the witnesses ranging from police officers to priests, you know. Oh yeah, so yeah. It, well, just a priest, well, maybe well, the police maybe, officers. Maybe, not, maybe that's a bad example, but but it runs the gambit, is what I'm trying yeah, to definitely. say. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah. What gives us a breakdown of what uh, what creatures we can expect to find in your book then? Um, so it starts with a section called Nessie and Friends, um, which is just about Loch Ness monster to begin with, and then yeah, it goes out to other uh, lake monsters uh, in and around Scotland, um, and then expands from there to, to a selection of other lake and sea monsters that have been seen around the country. Uh, here, so I mean, there's some. Um, there's, there's a really good um, uh, list actually. There was one that I wanted to talk about that happened in London in 2016 while I was here, and I actually went out in the middle of between the first and second sighting. There were three recorded sightings in the Thames. First one uh, started on the um, the cable car, uh, the Emirates cable car, and some guy. There's just a random bit of mobile phone video. He seems a little bit shocked. And you see three humps in the middle of the Thames near the O2 Centre just, you know, sliding into the water. And there's a dark shape moves as they, they move away. Mm-hmm. You think, what's that? You know, there's a big one at the backs, smaller in the middle, smallest at the front. That's a strange sighting, right? Right. A week later, or just over a week later, there's another sighting from one of the, like, the pleasure cruisers. You can hear in the... the um, in the footage, a bunch of friends talking about some rainbow off in the distance, and one of them is filming this weird thing, and it's a serpentine, long serpentine animal with a bump at the front of its head, swimming in a Thames. It looks huge. And you think, okay, so that's two sightings. And then, I think it was two weeks after that, or just under two weeks, you've got a third one from the speedboat, and a huge black hump uh, near Canary Wharf, uh, near Docklands, sorry, comes out of the water and back in again, you know, from a distance. The three amazing sightings topped off uh, a few weeks later by a three-humped uh, creature photographed in the Solent between 
Portsmouth and the Isle of Wight. And I thought, it's amazing. These are the kind of uh, creatures we have swimming around our coast. And there's so many different types of sightings, but they always have this this similar, you know, um, overview. It's the it's a serpentine or the Nessie-like creature appearing in the lakes and, and around the coast. And, and it, I talk about that kind of stuff a lot. Um, and it's, you know, it's like a real pleasure to me. I love it. I really love to, to just get to the, the meat of it. So the, the first chapter, Nessie Friends, you know, talks about that kind of stuff exclusively and just reviews a couple of recent sightings that were really, uh, convincing, like the one I've just given you. Yeah. So what was the, uh, you know, cause obviously people wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily accept that that was a, Sea serpent. So, what was the mundane uh, explanations for those? Was it like otters? Some, and... uh, some said it could have been a a pilot whale. I don't. I've never mm. seen a whale with that kind of um, formation on it. Um, other. I mean, it was the first picture is it, the, the size of it in front of the O2 Center. It must be about fifty plus feet long. So a whale was the only explanation given. Some people said rubbish coming up and floating under the water, but they couldn't explain the other two sightings. Yeah. Um, for me, one of the things that, that, that stops it being a whale or um, a dolphin of some kind is there was no blowing. There was never any blowing witnessed. And, and we had a dolphin trapped in the, the Thames recently, which died, unfortunately. And... Very significantly, as you see all the time with dolphins, it was witnessed very regularly at the surface, blowing, you know, yeah, taking yeah. in there. And it was the same. We had a, a pilot whale here, I think, in 2006, and the same thing happened. It was very, very visible all the way through its time uh, in the Thames. Now, there's something that happens um, around about that time. I look for a few different migrations, like possible food sources. There is a, apparently a, a bit of a eel migration that takes place, that starts taking place at March, uh, from March, in that part of the Thames, you know, and, and moves up. And, you know, looked into some reports of alleged lake monsters, and sea monsters often seen preying on eels, like Morgau and, and Nessian and things like that. Well, perhaps it's following the food source. It came in for a couple of weeks. It had a bit of a feed. He said, okay, you know, this is this is not really for me, and, and off it went. Mm, yeah. Well, Possible. They will go with the food, aren't Absolutely, yeah. So. so then we move on to bigger cryptids, like your, your, your dogman and your Bigfoot, then. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. what we was looking to, the Goatman now, wasn't it? Any Goatman tales here, and I... Um, I'd be interested if there are, you know, if there are some. I haven't been actively looking since I finished the book uh, a few months back. I, the one thing I'm really concerned at the moment about, it, from an American perspective anyway, is that if you look on YouTube and the internet, there's much more evidence being presented than there could possibly be available. You know, because it's become popular. You know, it's, um, it's, the desire to, to see something, to be shown something, is very, very high mm-hmm. at the moment. And um, and I, I've never heard of any goat man tales. I'm not saying there aren't, but it would be it would be an unfortunate copy of an American phenomenon. Suddenly, you know, as British cryptozoology seems to start uh, seems to be getting some attention at the moment. 
yeah. Um, so I, I don't know. I would definitely look into it, though. But with the Dogmen, there are a few werewolf-type sightings. You're probably aware of the one in Hull. Yep. Uh, you're aware of that one. Uh, a few uh, from the past I kind of liked was um, uh, one in Paulson Mill, which is a, they say was a wolfman sighting. There's three workmen were, were driving up to some storage blocks in uh, Paulson Mill. Uh, to get supplies, and they saw seven, seven and a half, eight foot tall, right, Wolfman jumped down from the roof in front of them and chased their cars. They, they reversed out, basically, and I, I think that's, um, that's an historical one. I, I'm not sure if it's you know, 10 to 20 years old. Um, and personally, for me, I, I often wonder if the Dogman's more of a, a rebranding of, of the werewolf. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, why, why chase a car? I mean, like, you know, you throw a dog and stick, it'll go after the stick. Did they know what it was yeah. doing? Go what it, was it, it after on the roof? Did they know? They don't know. They don't know. I mean, it was it was out in the, out in the stick somewhere, I'm guessing. But yeah. I often think with um, these bluff charges that you get yeah. from Bigfoot, it's to get you away. So there's something sensitive about the area or something, um, some sort of, maybe some prey feature in that area that means that the animal wants to ward you away. Mm. Um and it was a, a, a bluff charge recording Dorking Deep Dean. Um, I think that was late last year or early this year, actually, sometime. Deborah recorded it. And um, a guy and his brother, they were investigating old tunnels in the area, uh, old railway tunnels, you know, um, command centers and things like that. Okay. And um, they thought they heard a noise in the tunnel. They thought it was other sort of investigators coming out. It was nighttime, so they waited. And suddenly they heard, you know, the dogs got agitated and they heard a big crash and roar coming through the trees towards them. And, uh, it happened several times, you know, they were dead still. And like, and the only thing they could, uh, compare it to was like a, um, a gorilla bluff charge. There was this roaring and snapping and breaking the trees. And, you know, I often think may hear the noise in the tunnel first. Maybe there was something in there, maybe younger creatures. Mm, um, yeah, like it had its nest in there or something. Yeah, something like that. Or, or yeah. Den, I suppose is a better way. Yeah, or, or, or young event. There's there's a few bluff charge uh, stories around the place, and I've always wondered if if the wolfman or the werewolf or the dogman or whatever is a type of bigfoot with more of a muzzle, because one of the things that makes the bigfoot look a bit manlike is it's got this flat face, this separate nose and mouth. Whereas apes have a muzzle, don't they? Mm-hmm. It's the same with the Yahweh and the Yering. You know, one of the reports that comes up a lot is they have this flat face with separate nose and mouth. And I wondered if perhaps, and it's only an idea, perhaps the, the Dogman is another type of this creature, but with um, you know, with a muzzle. It's possible, but a number of the sightings sort of report, you know, the the canine legs. Yeah. Now there's two types. Yeah. And that's the one, the canine legs, and that I don't really have an explanation for. You know, unless it's, a, you know, it's, it is what it is. It's a wolfman. I mean, one of the th- things I talk about a lot is its perspective. So we, you know, some of us in the cryptozoological world, we're happy to say we believe in one thing but not the other. And of course you've got to have a limit. But, you know, it's sort of yes to Bigfoot, no to Nessie, that kind of thing. Yeah, because yeah. I, I don't believe in that, or you know what, a wolf, actual wolf creature, makes me uncomfortable. Whereas a bigfoot creature with a long muzzle is more plausible to me. I'd like to believe that. 
And I think this affects all of us a lot. Now, there are some reports that made me go, well, absolutely not. I won't consider that. Like the Yeti, uh, the Bigfoot um, with the UFOs sort of reports and people try to put a paranormal side on, on everything. Mm-hmm. Um, because what's it paranormal? You know, the explanation is beyond. It's no longer worth investigating from a scientific point of view. You know, you're not going to find um, evidence of that if it's ghostly or otherworldly. You're not convincing evidence, because by its very nature, it's immaterial in some way, right? Yeah, right, yeah. Um, and I prefer to treat them as animals first. If they behave like animals, you know, and they have animals that like they eat deer, you know, they make nests, they have young ones that you see. Let's treat them as animals first and, and see if we can find out what they are. I would say 90% of the sightings are just animalistic behaviour, aren't they? Yeah, uh, definitely. You know, especially like you brought up the one in Hull, the old yeah, stinker. The old stinker. You know, he, yeah. he was seen basically feeding on a carcass at the side of the road. Alsatian one, yeah. Alsatian uh, dog. That's something, yeah, yeah. yeah. So. It's an amazing one. That's so recent. That's, that's basically in cryptozoology terms, that's last week, yeah. you know? Yeah. That's a super recent sighting. That's, that's sightings. That's, um, Sightings have been going on there since the 1600s, haven't they? Yeah, a long time. Again, because yeah, I mean, there's water, there's food source, mm, there, mm, and cover, there's tunnels cover, and cover. Yeah, yeah. I'd say that you're part of the country, and you know that that whole—I call it the central section. I know it's not exactly that, but that the whole area there, you know, it's a lot, a lot of it's very, very rural. It's very environmentally rich. I think it would be, you know, it would provide a good environment for a lot of animals that want to stay out of sight. Mm. What about <clears throat> regarding the book? Then what about patterns? Do you do you do you uh, spend any time looking at patterns of you know where the sight is? Try to, yeah. yeah. Um, so I was talking to Deb recently about um, some people had noticed that there's small forest areas where they think they're getting signs like stick signs, glyphs, broken branches, snap branches, and things like that. Stick teepees, which I'm quite dubious about because there's a lot of bushcrafting around, you know, so it's hard to tell what's what sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Um, some of those signs a lot of people are noticing are disappearing from the smaller forests or smaller areas and some of the larger forested areas are becoming busier. So some people have theorized that at this time of year they're moving up into denser forest or I, I don't know, something like that. I try to investigate glyphs and things like that, but I can't, one, I can't honestly, um, I can't honestly say that I, I know what it means. And two, I can't really say that somebody couldn't fake that, you know, because if you know about glyphs and signs and sticker teepees, well, then you can just go and put some together and photograph them, right? And stick a couple of sticks in the ground. And although I think that's probably very, very, that kind of fakery is very minimal in our community because this is not a, a big phenomenon here. Mm. I don't doubt that it, it does happen sometimes. I investigated some stick signs in Ashridge uh, Woods, uh, which is it's in uh, Hampshire, sorry, I think it's it's close to here anyway. And some of these kid growls and had an acorn thrown at them. Uh, some of the research had been up there seeing, seeing loads of uh, stick signs everywhere. You know, it's really complicated but very numerous stick leans and teepees. So I checked it out and you know, with Christopher Turner actually, who's making a documentary elusive, we went there together. <clears throat> and um, as we've got through, 
you know, they became more and more and more prolific until finally they come to one that's like a trellis with nails in it and ring tying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And okay, so it's a big bush crafting area, and the simple ones are the ones that kids are practicing with, and so on and so forth. Yeah. I would like to say there's there's repeatable patterns that people really know about to follow, but I'm not really sure, even in the community, if people are really sure yet what any of them mean and whether they are what they seem to be. Um, yeah, well, do you think that um, the sightings have increased due to deforestation? You know, the forest, uh, uh, well, all these you know, the trees are coming down now and the forest is getting smaller. No, it's twofold, that, isn't it? It's that and finding Bigfoot. Yeah, are they actually, you know? Yeah. I think that the sightings are increasing um, because people are reporting more, personally. And I'm um, talking to the people like, like Deb and other people get these sightings I think she's starting to realise now that she's become more visible and that people are realising that they're not going to get mocked if they tell somebody because I mean finding Bigfoot for guys like me and, and you guys that was a big thing that came here British people generally didn't see that you know you've got to be a fan of the show to know what's happening and I'm, I don't think there would have been millions of people here that saw it. You know, it would be something on the periphery. Mm. Um, I think she's become more visible, and some of the other researchers who are starting to get out there now um, are just able to, to um, receive some of these reports and talk to people. She's apparently getting, you know, a couple of reports a month at the moment, you know, on and off, obviously. But um, I, that's quite exciting. Are these, uh, are these reports from people going looking for the creature, or no, no, from people who've had sightings, roadside crossings, that kind of thing. Road crossings, you know, things near their property and rural areas, uh, interactions and, and mm. things like that. There's a, there's a big movement now to get out there and interact. I I personally would. Um, I would I'm popping out tomorrow actually. Um, somewhere in Asia with John Spence to do a little um to do a little investigation on a new area. But I, you know, if I found something significant in area one, I don't think I would tell anybody where the area was exactly. And um, and two, I think I would give it a bit of a wide berth. I would try to locate something if I could. But if I thought I was, you know, if I was looking for a panther, for example, and I thought I was getting closer than this, I would approach cautiously because I'm not just going to walk up on a panther in the middle of the forest. Mm. And that's the same kind of mindset I have for this creature or anything else. You know, give it give it room, give it space, and if you can find a way to, to get in and get a bit of evidence, then, you know, do it carefully. Because the likely thing is, as soon as you receive, as soon as you get anything, you know, you're going to be discredited. That's going to be the, the first yeah. thing that will happen. Even in this community, people are going to say, that guy, he wanted to find it. And he's just brought a book out. So, of course he found it, yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, so, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that um, if I'm successful enough to find anything, you won't be hearing from me for very long. <laughs> yeah, we've been kind of yeah, wanting to go and investigate this and this, haven't we? So, mm. so. I think um, it'd be interesting because in a day, I think it's the difference between talking about it and actually experiencing it, you know, when you were yeah. actually in that area. You know, you can, yeah. if, if you do see something, you're like, whoa, you know, but at least you can experience it. And if people don't want to listen, if people don't want to think you're nuts, hey, you know, it's, it's yeah. let them uh, think what they want. 
I think it's a natural reaction to anything. I, I, um, you know, I spoke at a, a UFO conference called Probe in, um, was it September? Uh, near, uh, in Little St. Arms near Blackpool. And the reason I bring that up is because to me, the UFO thing has always been quite far out because I'm not interested in it. So to me, it's far out, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so don't think about it. And, uh, I did think something funny about it that my wife said to me. Oh, it's really great you're going to speak at this UFO conference for once you'll be the only normal guy in the room. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, it's kind of true, but it's not because we're like two sides of the same coin. What they're trying to tell people, what I'm trying to tell people, is just as unbelievable to somebody who doesn't know anything about it. It's just as crazy, mm. you know, to say, well, I got abducted or, you know, there's a Bigfoot living a few miles away from your town, probably using the railways and these little green corridors to move through. They've always been here, but we just haven't found them. Sorry. You know, uh, it's implausible. But when you get out there into the British countryside and you see, you could just set out, you know, into a, a field uh, on the edge of town. You could set out at uh, uh, 12 at night and walk until 8 in the morning and not see a single soul or anything, in fact. Not even in front of your face, right? Yeah. So if there's stuff out there, if it's nocturnal, which I know it's, it's an easy way out to, to say something's nocturnal, if it's nocturnal, how would we know? We're not looking for it. Mm. Um, we don't have wildlife experts out there looking for some strange um, mythical creature, you know, from our history that might still be alive. Well, there's a lot of evidence uh, about a lot of these creatures that supposedly died out, you know. Yeah. They've got, like, the dinosaurs, which, uh, you know, supposedly died out. Okay. What, yeah. if, what if some survived? You know, exactly. So then you've got other creatures that supposedly died out. Mm, what yeah. is supposedly they kind of adapted to another area, and then you uh, sure. just and then you get on. the mistaken identity as well. It's like yeah. you get <clears throat> in um, America they had a, a wave of hyena sightings. Oh um, yeah, and I think that was people seeing dogmen on all yeah. fours and absolutely yeah, yeah. And not having um, not having a reference for what they were seeing. So they've seen this. Sure. Big loping animal with a you know, uh, you know sloping back and you know, obviously in in the silhouette. Well, it's a uh, it's an hyena, um, you know. It makes sense to me. It makes sense to me, and it's what well, it could have been a hyena, you know, because they are incredibly large when you see them mm. up close. Well, I've had uh, um, you know I've had a couple of occasions where I've where I've shit myself like, and it's been it's been a mundane animal. There was one time when I was having a, I was having a, a, a I was relieving myself, should I say, okay. uh, at the side of the van, and I heard this. Uh, it was the middle of the night, and I'm I'm there, country lane, middle of nowhere, and I hear this creak, creak, crunching behind me. You know, this crunch, 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 crunch. Obviously, it was. I didn't. I, you know, just think it at the top of my head. I thought it was like bipedal, but it clearly wasn't. But um, next thing, I'm, I've got me back to this fence, and next thing, my shoulder gets nudged. And, uh, and I, you know, well, you know, I couldn't get in my yeah. pants quick enough. There was piss everywhere. <laughs> I turned around yeah. and it was a pony in a, it had one of them little hoods on, you know what I mean? It looked like a little goblin with its hair hanging down. <laughs> but, uh, it, yeah, it took me a while for this, me out to stop. Uh, yeah, yeah, this yeah. is the point, you know, at night, yeah. when you're, if you've yep. been out, I've been out in Wales walking in the countryside and pure black, there's this, be this pub we used to go to and Kif, just near Kefili Mountain somewhere. And, You'd have to walk back. It was like a, an illegal pub, and you have to walk back through this forest in the pitch black nice. to get back into the town. 
you normally walk with somebody, but occasionally, you know, you walk by yourself, <laughs> drunk, full of paranoia and fear in a pitch black forest in the middle of the night. And of course, the things are scary. You hear noises. Things live there. So, of course, it's going to be frightening. I personally think in places like the US, like a lot of Bigfoot sightings in stressful, dark situations could be bears, you know, because it's in the mindset now. And occasionally you could get a bear like animal that could suddenly startle somebody. And therefore, it's a Bigfoot. So some of them could be that. But what really encourages me is that we don't have any bears, or at least if there are a few escapees, not enough to account for these 400 sightings of Bigfoot, or however many it is now. And it's really encouraging. I think we're in a great place to investigate this phenomenon, because one, it's not known, even in this community of cryptozoology in Britain, it's not very well known. Two, the sightings normally come from people who have no interest in the subject. Mm, None at all. Nothing, and you read them, and you're like, "Oh my gosh!" You know, this person—that's yeah. a person who was well, not. I've seen. Uh, we're expecting to see that. Yeah, I've seen two dogman sightings from police officers. You know, just on the routine, really? routine, uh, you know, beat like, and uh, bumped into them. I think one mm-hmm. said it looked like. Uh, what was she said? It looked like uh, one of them real shaggy dogs. Can't remember what you call them now. Um, oh, uh, like um, you yeah, mean like, like uh, a wolfhound? Like a- when she saw it because it was wet when she saw it at first she was biking along this came across across a path under a street light and she thought it was uh, a massive wolf hound at first and then it stood up on it stood up on its gosh. back legs and turned and looked at yeah. her and then, then she realised it was but again you know we get sightings from police officers that see these things and they are out in the middle of the night you know, and can you imagine what it means for your job as a police officer to say you seen you that you saw something like that that's a big risk for you. Absolutely, yeah. Which but is ridiculous, kind of, you know. But it's just—it's ridiculous. Yeah, it is. But uh, you know, I think that's, I mean, that's <clears throat> changing though now. I think you know because we've had well uh, with the internet now because it's just kind of exploded yeah. into you know. Uh, yeah, you've got a lot of uh, Facebook, you, Twitter. You've got all these. You can report these yeah. things about yeah. you, about fear. What, what what do you where do you stand on the fact that we don't because you know we talked about these being here for. Uh, you know, millennia now. But why do, why do we not find bodies then? I know we don't find bodies of the black cats, but we know they're out there. But I think it's for the same reason that some animals. I mean, someone else when they're ready to die, they go somewhere quiet and they hide away and they die. Um, creatures prey on them, scavengers eat the bodies. I think you know, if you had something very close to a town that died, it would be there for some time. You know, a small patch of forest. I. I sort of I don't believe they bury their dead personally. Um, I think that's too much too far a stretch. Mm. But I do believe that perhaps they get somewhere quiet to die like most animals do. There have been reports of very old looking ones. Yeah. yeah. Um there was one actually in um talk about that. There's one in South that I could tell you about which was very interesting and it was um it was near Ellesmere Golf Course. Uh Worsley. And um yeah, Worsley, yeah. Mm. Uh, there were some friends who were golfing there. It was daytime, actually. They, they noticed a seven-foot-tall, hairy creature, like a human-shaped creature, barrel-shaped chest, odd-shaped, cone-shaped head, hunched over like it was old. It was making chattering sounds like an ape swaying from side to side, using like a, making signs with its hands. And they watched it for a few minutes, and then suddenly there was a loud wail from the side of it, and it, it ran away into the trees. Mm. And I told this to another musician. They said, you know what, maybe like... 
this is the senile one, you know? <laughs> yeah, maybe he's getting caught up by his family, yeah. yeah. Yeah, come on, you know, come away from the humans. You're not supposed to be there. Mm. I, I strongly, um, be- I mean, it's only a theory, but I strongly believe that the Bigfoot has a religious belief, a religious um, mentality, and I think it's, I think that's why it stays away from people. I think it's, I think it's, I think it's a cultural mm. thing within them that they, uh, mm. you know, if you like, call it religious. It's a religious <coughs> belief that they do not associate with us. We are, you know, the enemy or whatever, and that, hence yeah. why they they deliberately hide. But then, yeah. but then the other part of me thinks that they're not hiding from us. They're hiding from something else we don't know about. So you could think that, but I think you know, part of what you're saying is right for all wild animals. Wild animals. The, the, Big mistake in sort of um, uh, misnomer that we have as humans is that wild animals want to be seen, but they still want to be around us. You know, we we're clearly the threat. You know, yeah. we look like an intelligent animal. We sometimes aren't, but we're often in, in numbers. We're upright, and mm. you know, that's intimidating to to some creatures as well. And we we own all of this. You know, our cities, our landscapes—they're all around here. Our big vehicles, our guns. I don't see why any wild animal would want to be near us. And generally speaking, when you're out in a place where there are known wild animals, even bears, mostly they avoid you. That's why I say make a noise. If you make a noise, you know, someone in the US or Canada goes to the forest, that will keep the bears away from you. You know, you don't want to surprise them is what they say. In most cases, there are some obviously dodgy bears, mostly you don't want to surprise them. So make a noise, they'll know you're there, and they'll stay away from you. And I think, you know, um, I personally don't know why a bear would be afraid of me. I can't think of any reason, but, you know, that, it's man. We're man. You know, we're, we're the, um, the dominant species on this planet. And I think that the Bigfoot, whatever it is, it's an intelligent animal. Clearly, because it hasn't been found. And, um, it knows to stay away from us and, and to occupy, um, for the most part anyway, they do seem to be curious, but it knows to occupy a part of the day. In which we don't um, we don't function well nighttime. True enough. Yeah, because yeah. obviously humans aren't uh, nocturnal, are we? We're not. We're not no. By we're not nocturnal creatures. Not anymore. No. 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 So no, we can't. Well, that's a, that's a debate again. But yeah. yeah. So uh, uh, yeah, give us a give, give us another couple of sightings, then. That's okay. Okay. It's um. Or, or yeah. Okay. Um, this one I really like because um. Because it mentions Chewbacca <laughs> for a start. Okay, I'm yeah. a boy, so of course a normal, I'm a normal boy who likes Star Wars. Not in a crazy way, it's like it. Um, and this was a Haslington, Lancashire, uh, 2015. A 17 year old girl, she's in her house, she's on the phone, uh, to a friend, and she notices, uh, a large seven foot tall creature that looked like Chewbacca, in her words, poking its head around the, the uh, upper body around the doorway and looking at her on the phone. All her family are out. Mm. You know, it's a little bit rural where she is. And this thing is just kind of, I'm guessing there's a door open policy, whatever she is. And this, um, just poked in and had a look at her. And she locks eyes with it for five seconds and it, it leaves. And she's, she's in shock. You know, and that's amazing. And they, mousy, this mousy blonde, blonde color comes up a lot. Yeah. And I always think of that as being like an alsatian kind of color. Yeah. You know, it's got that browny, blacky, that's yellow. Tan sort of, yeah. Tan kind of colour. That's, that's a, a regular sighting. So that's, that's one of the ones. And, um, uh, I think my, my utmost, utmost favourite 
exciting of all is one of the that was seen in 2013 in uh, Bristol in uh, Lee Woods Nature Reserve and this witness uh, saw this creature that also looked older uh, in their description digging in the earth with a twig watched it pick something up and, and eat it and then use another twig to pick its teeth then saw it kind of put some twigs together in a sort of a shape stand up snap a, a tree branch lean it against another tree and walk off so it was about six foot tall old looking with grey skin um, and also they mentioned it had sort of small breasts but like old manny kind of breasts you know yeah. <laughs> you know like men get those kind of little breasts yeah. sometimes like man yeah. boobs yeah. No, boobs I'm aware, <laughs> I'm aware of those yeah. <laughs> I, won't, I won't ask you any questions you know, I'm yeah. also in my early 40s so I'm fighting the moves <laughs> like tooth nail and claw fighting against the power of the moves um, <laughs> so what do you think it was leaning the stick up against the tree for to, to, to mark where there was food because that's like I, how, you know what our aborigines would uh, would 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 mark uh, trails for uh, future uh, passers-by so there's two theories so the one is that it's a direction for food or mm. that there's good feeding in this area the other one is I went this way but I personally think in that sighting that the branch said I went this way and the stick said here's food Mm. Yeah. yeah. See, I, I'm not sure about the. I mean, we've spoke about this before, me yeah. and but I'm not sure about the directional. Um, I don't think these markers are directional because most animals use uh, urine, use scent mm. for um, a good ways, you know, for, for to tell each I other. I think these um, creatures are more intelligent than animals. Mm. I think they. I, I, I think they. You know, you've yeah. got, you, I think they're on a bit a higher level you know than a normal uh dog or you know a deer or bear bear or whatever creature i think they're a bit more intelligent so we was on about uh the branches they leave and sometimes the the the, the, the pattern of the branches of it's a, definitely a marker mm. it's a marker for something i mean yeah, uh, somebody told me that the the pinned um the pinned arch for example which mm. is the sort of the bow tree pinned down pointing to a water source is allegedly an old gypsy technique for telling other people in the community where you know who might be sort of wondering where there's water mm. um, I don't see why animals can use those kind of signs we know that other higher primates use tools you know they use uh, like the temperature monkeys they use those rocks to break up the nuts don't they and chimpanzees yeah. and use clubs and um even dolphins, you know, they 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 um, use toys. They get little toys, little bits of seaweed or a rock or a stone. They pass it around. Mm, otters think as well. Intelligent use... otters. Yeah. A dolphin is. What well, can you imagine? Something, you know, um, seven to eight feet tall with a large brain capacity. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah. I, th- I think uh, you know, leaving a leaving a marker for water, leaving a marker for food, that kind of thing. I think that yeah. <clears throat> you know, for the younger ones of the tribe, if you want, or the clan, yeah. if that's what you want to call it, I can totally understand that. But directional markers for just for travel and or I was here, that kind of thing. I don't, no, I don't think so yeah. because yeah, it, it wouldn't want to be followed. Or no, it wouldn't I want think, to be. Uh, I think most an- and like to hide it on like, yeah, so disappear in the forest. Would you send for for that kind of? I'm stuff. on the fence, really. About yeah. the whole, I'm on the fence about the whole stick sign. I guess we'll, I think we'll never know until people, we catch one or kill one. Until we we get to, to follow one or I'll put some sort of. I I don't know what my hopes are really for, for this kind of thing. I mean, I'm ten now. Probably where I'm um, filming a. 
a documentary called Cryptozoologist in May next year. Mm. And there's several people in Lauren Colburn and like Blackburn and there's a few people in there, Deborah Hatchell's in it, um, Richard Freeman and they're all going to different locations with these people and filming them. It's about cryptozoologists themselves. I'm, I'm, I'm being, I'm one of their, their guests as well, but also kind of involved in organizing it here. And so I'll go out you know, looking somewhere and I've already, especially with my Loch Ness monster kind of hunts here, I've already got the different river mouths figured out that I want to go to. Um, I've already figured out and I talk about in the book that on years where the salmon catches high in Loch Ness, um, the sightings are higher, and years when they're lower, they're lower. Uh, the, uh, the salmon catch is lower, but the sightings are lower. And this is always preceded by a year of heavy rain, and usually heavy rain because it diminishes the insect population, which the fish feed on. There's less fish, and then there's less sightings. And I believe that the creature doesn't live in Loch Ness, that it travels in and out between the different lochs, and also to the sea, um, by whatever method. Um, and it's the same for all of the other lochs there. And Loch Morrow, for instance, is a classic example. It's only it's a very short way to the sea from Loch Morrow and then the River Morrow. And I think a lot of them are they're ocean migrants or they're part-time residents. We see them when they're there. So this year, apparently, there's been eight or nine sightings. I, I think maybe three or four of those look actually plausible. You know, the others are quite ambiguous. But these sightings of this creature every year, I just think that if it was there all the time, we'd be seeing it more. Yeah. And um, there's actually been a massive increase in visitors to Loch Ness too. So the fact there's only nine sightings out of 250,000 visitors, that's tiny actually. How do we know that there's not actually caverns below Loch Ness? I mean, well, there it, are. It, well I mean, there are. It, I mean how far does Loch Ness go down? It goes, it's, 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 it's huge, isn't it? I mean, it could be caverns yeah. uh, that they come from, which connects to other locks or yeah. to other oceans. But well, you can get to the sea. It's tidal, it's salt, salt yeah. water, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, well, it's brackish, I think. It's fresh in the, like, in the middle, but via the River Ness, on the one side there on the, uh, on the east, um, if I had the river there, you know, it's shallow at points, I've walked along it, so that would be a bit difficult, park goes to the town, but it's a small possibility. The other way, you've got the Caledonian Canal on the way, Neptune's stairs, and that would be slightly difficult, but, but it's, it's an amphibious animal, allegedly, so well, why I, I was going to get say, out at night, travel around a little bit, and get yeah, back in? That's what I've seen, because I've, I've seen reports of people actually seeing, seeing Loch Ness monster cross the road in front of them. Yes, across the road, um, coming out of the forest, and I've, I've been there a few times, and um, I, the first time I was there, I stood um, near Drumlin Dock, right down on the dock by the water at about 11 at night, and... Um, it was so black, you couldn't see anything on the water, you couldn't see anything anywhere. And suddenly I thought, you know what? If something was here right now, right at the water, I wouldn't have a clue. I did, I, I got unnerved, I left actually, I left the, the side of the water and thought, well, it's that question again, you know, it's okay to say our blue these things are real, but do you really want to see one by yourself in the middle of the night with nobody around? There's no, uh, real attacks uh, reports but you know it's, it's a plausibility if it's a real gigantic animal you want to be cautious so uh, the one thing that really convinced me of was that there's, it's all forested and hilled and so you can easily move between these little bits of forest and hills quite easily without anybody seeing it there's hardly any population there yeah, yeah. yeah it's pretty remote yeah. 
Yeah. What about these? Good for uh, stake up though, wasn't it? Yeah, oh, yeah, awesome. I mean, oh, they yeah. get a lot of Bigfoot sightings in Scotland as well. But what That's about, a good Scotland, mate. Yeah. What about uh, these pterosaurs and that then? And uh, the pterosaurs. Um, there's been several reports over the years that they're not common. No. I know that you were interested in the recent one when you have the uh, the, the um, pterosaurs in Shropshire uh, that were seen very recently. Um, and we've got several flying cryptids apparently in the country. The owl man is the regular one that, uh, in Mornan in uh, Cornwall. Well, can, been... can you give them a, a you know people a description who might not know what? Yes, yes, sure I will. Now, the owl man, it's um, it's a creature said to be around about five five and a half feet tall, to look like a bipedal man-like owl, large wings. Uh, I think it was first sighted in the the nineteen seventies, uh, and there's been several sightings since then. Um, it emits a, a screeching or a hissing noise. Mm. Um, and it, often there's a sort of electrical charge in the air, said to have red glowing eyes. And most of the sightings of the creature have been uh, corroborative, have, have been made by people who aren't really connected to one another. Uh, in the background of it, I mean, you might know John Downs wrote a, a book about this, The Alman and Others. Uh, from the uh, Centre for Fortune Zoology, the CFC. No, uh, no, I'm not aware of it. Well, yeah, he, that's like the biggest, it's probably the biggest cryptozoology organisation in the world, really. And it's based here in the UK. And um, he was a very close friend of, of Tony Doc Shields. And um, Tony, you know, he took a lot of these reports of Morgauer and the Alman and other things, as well as Nessie, back in the 70s and 80s. And, of course, you know, there's a lot of controversy about this man, uh, this wizard, as he, uh, some sort of mystic of some kind, and a lot of controversy about him. I don't know if you've ever heard about him, but of course, when he's involved in these kinds of sightings, to me, it always brings an air of questionability to it. You know, either he was very interested in the subject and he had a bad reputation, but he reported what he heard, and I think that's plausible, or you know, he was had more of an influence on on the form formation of the sightings, and that's where we got them from. Okay. Certainly, with things like Morgauer, now there have been so many sightings unconnected to him that it does seem to be they do seem to be real creatures. Um, so you have that. We have the Alman. Um, there's also bat-like creatures that are often seen around the country at certain points. So there was a a sighting in Kent um, and this is also a very long time ago and it, it appeared to be a headless bat that's how it was described um, some school friends they were walking home from a party and they saw a, a luminous light sort of um, flittering in the sky and, and land behind some um, a line of trees a field and what walked out towards them uh, was what they described as a a headless bat-like creature that shuffled towards them again, around about five feet tall. Yeah, so that's um, that's an interesting phenomenon. But again, that's not been really repeated for for many years. That's that's a one-off sighting. Mm. Um, I, go, I don't know why, but with, with the owl man, I think it might be the eyes. But I always go straight to alien. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's possible, but it was described as being feathered. Mm. No, it's being a large bird-like creature. What was unusual about the feet is they were described as um, as claws. Um, 
or uh, like pincers, sorry, not claws, as pincers, and not bird-like feet, which you would perhaps expect, you know, from a creature that was some yeah, sort it was of. Just an owl. It was just a general owl. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, those sightings that <clears throat> you were interested in the um, the Batman um, of Sightel Cemetery, weren't you? Uh, we spoke about this, I think. Mm. Mm. <clears throat> and that one's quite unusual. So that's a that's a cemetery in Glasgow. And um, I think the, the driver was returning home one morning, 4.30 a.m., and um, to a new neighborhood that they moved into, and they missed a churning and pulled over to before we U-turn, and they, they saw something shoot out of the cemetery gates to their left, and it moved very, very quickly past their headlights and went down the street, you know, shot off down the street at really immense speed. Um, but they said it looked something like a man, jet black in color with what might have been either a cowl or bat wings. So they drove after it you know, about 40 miles an hour, unable to catch up with it, and finally kind of cornered it towards the, the end of the street and saw it standing stock still, um, looking like a man, I suppose, or a man's shape with his heavy cowl on. And as they drove towards it, it jumped vertically up in the air, cleared a 20-foot fence. Next to the pavement, a single movement, which is, um, <clears throat> I mean, my athletic days are behind me, but, um, Spring Hill Jack. Able to achieve mm. that. Spring Hill Jack. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, these kinds of things. I'm interested in these sightings, but I think they're, they're one-offs mostly. What mm. do you, we do seem to have a little bit more of is the, um, is the pterosaur sightings. Again, not common, but more, uh, more frequent. Than, than something like this owl man or, or bat beast sightings. The most recent one, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> here in my throat, the most recent one was in Shropshire. It was in September of this year. And uh, a lady standing, I think, you know, in some small rural area there in a place called uh, Woodchurch, um, heard a strange screech. It sounded like nothing she'd heard before. And suddenly she saw... Um, Two, what she described as large pterosaurs, greyish in colour, fly across the skyline over her head and disappear between some trees and houses on the other side. Uh, she was sure of what she saw. They didn't have bumps on the back of their head. She called them pterodactyls, I think. But I think that's just um, <coughs> sorry, that's just a, a more of a, a case of not knowing how to to refer to them. Yeah. So I mean, that that was very you know it was very very interesting to me. So it's been a lot of things like that, especially in that those areas. What what made her think it was more pterosaur than than bird? Well, was it, was it sound? The, the creatures um, the creatures had they were grey. They had bat like wings. Uh, that's leathery wings, no feathers. Yeah. Um, they were very large, sort of sharp pointed heads and and beaks, and, and I suppose she just she. She uh she saw a pterosaur, pterodactyl, as she said, but mm. what would be a pterosaur, really? Long tails. Um, and I got this from uh, Jonathan Whitcomb, who's got the live pterosaur.com website. He reports on, on lots of different sightings like this around the country. I do really personally think that, um, you know, regardless of whether this phenomenon happens here or not, that it's um, it's rare. I wondered if we're a kind of a stop off on the route to some other place. Um, 
I mean, I've always said that, uh, we did a show about it before, didn't we? But I've always said uh, that the the past, the present and the future are all working out now. Altogether, <coughs> at the same time, you know, it's, it's working out. So I think these creatures, you know, are from the past, but we, we can still, because of the vibration, the frequency, I think they just like anything else. You can yeah. see them go past, but they maybe gone past the area millions of years ago. <coughs> now, yeah. with the tree line, with the tree lines, but they, oh, they disappeared down the houses near the tree lines. There's no tree lines and houses then. Maybe, so, but then we don't see, you know. I mean, I mean, loads of people have seen. Ter- I mean, you know, a lot of people said seen them in the sky. Mm. So, but that, that, but that makes me think that they're actually there. Well, yeah. it could be there. It's possible that they <coughs> they can come in out you one frequency to another. I, mean, I know that was one of the theories for Loch Ness itself. The Loch Ness monster was like it came yeah. from some sort of dimensional portal or something. I think it's, it's a cavern. Again, again, there could be a cavern uh, thousands of miles down uh, that actually goes onto yeah, another land. Got, you know, got, land that the time yeah. forgot. Yeah, you haven't got pterosaurs living in underground caverns, have you? So again, yeah. I think that uh, this. Um, and I probably will have to sign off after the session for the next interview. But yeah, <clears throat> I think that this normally comes down to this prevailing paradigm. So we're told that these creatures, you know, they were extinct millions and millions of years ago. So what actually happens is, you know, intelligent people like ourselves, we have to stretch the borders of our reason to say, well, yeah, so, you know, science says they're gone. So maybe they're ghosts of pterosaurs or imprints, you know, like a lot of ghosts of apparently imprints of a, you know, like film-like imprints of a moment in time yeah, on they recreated over and over again. Uh, also through stone, which is a definitely... Through stone yeah, and a, you know, good like a pinhole camera, you know, making this, um, this, uh, this scene replay again. But I think that's because we're uncomfortable with what it signifies, that maybe there's an issue with how we've put this record together. And even the people that then follow that and, and base their study against that, they'll admit that it's, um, and the fossil record is, is correlated. So you don't find it in any one place. You go take that layer from Patagonia and that layer from Britain, that one, you know, from the North American, say that's all the same layer because you find them at this level. And we say, how do we know that, that, uh, that, that, that old, each of these separate layers and they belong together? Well, because it's got this index fossil in it. You say, okay, fair enough. That's fine. But how do we know the index fossil is that old? And they say, well, because it's in that old layer. Mm. And that sounds insane, but that's actually the basic um, structure of how it works. Now, it's really oversimplified, I know, but the point I'm kind of making, I, I make this in the book, and I don't want to get into those arguments of, um, you know, materialism or creationism and all these things people are into, um, is that, you know, clearly with the coelacanth and the horseshoe crab and, and others and crocodiles, for goodness sake, you know, there's so many things that the fossil record seems to have dropped the ball on and let through the net, slipped through the net, so to speak. Why can't we consider these things also might be around too? Yep. You know, it's just our understanding of what we think, you know, the world should look like if this actually happened in this order. But it's still a theory. And, you know, we can come outside of that and say, well, you know, how do you tell the person that saw a pterosaur or um, the Loch Ness monster that they didn't see <clears throat> what they saw? Because those things don't exist anymore. You know, it's a funny thing to say to somebody who's seen something. No, no, you must have seen an otter or a seal that's 60 feet long because <laughs> with his big neck sticking out of the water, those things don't exist anymore. And we just think we know everything. I don't think we're quite there yet. No, we're not. No. Well, do you want to uh, tell people where they can find your book and what it's called before you leave? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, and I'm sorry to leave, but it's been really nice actually. Um, uh, so go to Amazon.co.uk, just type in Beasts of Britain. There's a there's a paperback and uh, the Kindle version. So if you're um, I think it's much cheaper on the Kindle actually, and if you've got the you know the unlimited, you read it for free. So um, which I'm doing right now, <laughs> reading it for free. Um, so it's there, and if you're interested. I'd love to do. I'm actually writing two others at the moment um, on a similar subject in different countries and um, different creatures. So I'm, you know, I'm hoping to get those out for next year too. So if you like it for your Christmas list, I'd be very happy for you to buy it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what we can do. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> see, I mean, you're. Yeah. <laughs> if you've been a good boy this year, Lee. Like, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much. <laughs> very, very much. Yeah. And thank you for having me on too. Hey, it's been, it's been a pleasure. Really nice to talk to you both. Yeah. A pleasure. No worries, and we'll be in touch. I'm sure. Definitely. Okay, fellas. All the best. Take see care you. now. Cheers now. Bye bye. Bye. Well, they've gone. No, just for now. Wasn't the right time for us to meet. But there'll be other nights, other stars for us to watch. They'll be back. Oh, 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 oh,